0: Uh, Luke chapter 6 is where we are today. We're going to uh, move into the next chapter of the book of Luke, and uh, we'll be looking at this first section today, this morning, and looking at the next section tonight. You know, if you think about where we are in the ministry of of Jesus, if you were to step back and look at this from a purely business perspective, maybe, and you're going to look at it from what good marketing would be and how you would market your ministry and what you would do to make sure that you were seeing people continue to come and to follow you and uh, get involved in your ministry. Popular wisdom would argue that this would be the juncture where Jesus should begin to capitalize on his growing fame, right? He's becoming more popular Uh, The common wisdom would be maximize the crowds, continue to do miracles, continue to do healing, do things that would continue to earn you fame, continue to bring fortune. Tone down the controversial speech. I mean, just don't bring things up that might stir controversy. Don't bring things up that might make people uncomfortable or might make them angry. But Jesus understands here in his human ministry, in his earthly ministry, that while he is at sort of this juncture in his ministry, this isn't the time to just simply be popular for popularity's sake. Instead, Jesus, rather than exploiting his fame, what he actually does is he begins to raise the issues that he knows are the issues of the day. He knows that these are issues that are burning in the hearts, particularly of the religious leaders and as his ministry begins to progress, the more he talks, rather than worrying about popularity, rather than worrying about maximizing what was taking place in his ministry, he begins to talk more pointedly about the very things that are going to make him controversial. Now, what is interesting in Luke 6, we're going to look at verse 1 all the way down through verse 11. In just a moment is that we are going to see that one of the initial problems, one of the initial issues in christ 's ministry, we know had to do with the law. We, we understand that his his interaction with the law, where did he fit in regard to the Mosaic law, but one area in particular that Luke actually takes two accounts and joins them together and shows how this one particular issue begins to raise concern and raise controversy is the question of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is going to now give us back-to-back, demonstrate his authority. He's going to continue to talk about his position as the Son of God and what that means. But he also is going to raise this issue over discussion about the Sabbath. So we're going to look at these one at a time. And we're going to look at the first one is found in verses 1 through 5. And the question becomes about plucking grain on the Sabbath. Notice verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much as this what David did when he himself was hungered and they which were with him? How he went into the house of God and did take and eat the show bread and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. All right, now, in our our culture, we read through this and we don't quite understand or grasp the sting of what the disciples did brings to the Pharisees. This point of contention centered around the behavior of the disciples of Christ As they are walking through a field, they're walking. It's a Sabbath. They're walking through the field. They pluck some of the grain off, rub it in their hands, and they eat it. Now, let's let's take a step back before we understand why this is controversial. Let's understand a little bit first of all what was the Sabbath. Now we're not going to spend tons of time on this this morning, but we know that Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 records for us in the Ten Commandments. This, I'll read it to you. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughters, or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. Now, one of the first observations that if you read through the Ten Commandments, and we know that some of them are very brief. In fact, this commandment that is given about the Sabbath is the longest one. I just read the whole commandment to you. Okay? There's a lengthy description about the Sabbath. The Sabbath provided the opportunity to have a regular stoppage of work in order to give people an opportunity to be refreshed, and it gave them an opportunity to focus on God for the purpose of service and worship. Now, this is not a message on the Sabbath, but just an aside would be, this might be something, and I'll talk about this in a minute, we're not under Sabbath law today, we understand that, but at the same time, this idea of rest, this idea of setting aside time for restoration, and this idea of setting aside time for restoration and worship is something our culture needs to understand. Because the more technological we've become and the more computers and everything was supposed to save us time and free us up to do all these things, the reality is for most of us, we are on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a week with little or no opportunity to disconnect from the world for restoration and rest and worship. Now, understand, the Sabbath was not given to promote inactivity. You understand what I'm saying? The purpose wasn't given that those who were under the Sabbath law would simply sit and do nothing. That was not the purpose. There was limitations on what they were commanded to do, specifically regarding their labor. But this wasn't a sit and do nothing day of the week. Now I want you to see something and I want you to read it with me. Go back to Exodus 31. Exodus 31 because I made the statement that we are the church age no longer bound to sabbath law. Understanding that where Jesus is in in salvation history, he is ministering in a time that the Old Testament law is still in play. While the Gospels are located in our New Testament, they are still living under the age, the dispensation, if you will. They are under the dispensation of the Mosaic law. But I want you to see what was the underlying purpose of the Sabbath. Exodus 31, look at verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that that does sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth shall surely be put to death. That's a pretty strong warning. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign. Between me and the children of Israel forever. Not between me and the church, between me and Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Not to belabor this point, but understanding that before we criticize, rightfully, the Pharisees' reaction, they they were not making this up in this sense. The Sabbath was given to them for a particular reason. There was very strong warnings against violating the Sabbath. And so to give the Pharisees some credit, they understood the magnitude of what the Sabbath meant. Now, he uses this word sign. What does that mean? What was the purpose of the Sabbath under the Old Testament law? It served as a sign of the covenant. What does that mean? Well, most of you know that I am married. I've been married for over 20 years to the same person. And as a sign of the covenant that I made with my wife over 20 years ago, I wear a wedding ring. This is a picture of the fact that I have made a covenant With that person, with my wife, that is to never be violated till death do us part. This is the sign of that covenant. The Sabbath for the Old Testament believer served as a reminder, a sign of the covenant that God made with Israel. One day out of seven, they were to stop their labor to worship and to remember and to be reminded that they were God's people and that God had chosen them as a nation and God had made a covenant with them. This was an important thing. So the Sabbath was given to them so that they would be reminded on a weekly basis that God had entered into this covenant with them. Now, back in our text in Luke, I want you to listen to Matthew's account of this, where Matthew 12, 1, Matthew recording this in a, in a parallel way, he says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. Now, we have to look at another law. And understand that the law permitted one to pass through the field of a neighbor and pluck grain from it as long as they did not attempt to harvest that field. Deuteronomy 23. Remember, the law was as much civil in how they were to interact with each other, right? It set boundaries around them as a nation, right, of how they were to treat one another. Listen to Deuteronomy twenty three twenty five. If you go into your neighbor, neighbor's neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So what the disciples did in and of themselves was permissible by the law. You could walk through a neighbor's field, pick off a grain of uh, a pluck of some grain off the the, the uh, harvest off the uh, wheat. And you could eat it, and you're not violating anything. wasn't illegal. The activity itself was not the problem. The question becomes the context of what they did. The Sabbath. They did it on the Sabbath day. Now, not to bog down in seminary, but I want you to understand what had happened. The Mishnah. Maybe you're unfamiliar with that, but the Mishnah was the oldest authoritative post-biblical collection and codification of Jewish oral laws. It contains an entire unit of what was prohibited activity on the Sabbath day. The Mishnah supplements the written or scriptural laws that are found in the Pentateuch. It presents various interpretations of selective legal traditions that had been preserved orally since the time of Ezra. The Mishnah was Jewish writing, was not inspired, was not scripture. This was writings of Jewish people that took the oral laws, the applications, if you will, of what they had learned from scripture and they wrote them down. There is some 39 tasks, the Mishnah actually words it 40 minus 1, or 39 tasks that are prohibited on the Sabbath. According to the Mishnah, the disciples were doing what was considered reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. According to the Mishnah, they have violated four oral traditions. You following me? they have violated four of them. Ironically, in later Judaism, there was no problem with this activity as long as you didn't use a tool. You follow me? We had the Old Testament law, the Mishnah, these oral traditions, were applications of that law that over time, even later in Judaism, what they did wasn't a problem. But here it is. This activity was considered a violation by the Pharisees by the law. The Pharisees interpreted this action as harvesting on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be kept holy by not working. The question became, what qualifies as work? The Pharisees offered precise classifications of work that were designed to prevent the law from being violated. The Pharisees set up what was called a fence around the law. You might say it this way. You may not step on the platform. Maybe you've done this as a parent. We don't want you playing on the platform. You can't step here. But what we're going to say is you can't come past the first pew. And if I come to the first pew, have I stepped on the platform? Well, no. But this becomes the boundary, and I stepped over it. Have I stepped on the platform? No. But I violated this boundary that was put in place by what? Men. That's the issue. We put the fence around the law. We protected the platform so nobody steps on it. So we won't come past the first pew. The disciples came to the fence and stepped over it. But they didn't step on the platform. You you following me? Is this making sense? One rabbi later admitted this. He said, the rules about the Sabbath, festal offerings and sacrilege are as mountains hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty but the rules are many. The rabbis, by their own admission, said, we have taken Sabbath law, and it's like taking a mountain and hanging it by a piece of human hair, and we've made it oppressive, we have made it heavy, we've made it burdensome, when the reality is what the Scripture actually said, by comparison, he says, is scanty. The Sabbath was given to the people of Israel as a sign of the covenant to set them apart from all other nations. The Pharisees rightfully understood the commandment to keep the Sabbath. They were right in that. But where they began to cross the line was when they began to allow their oral traditions to become the basis on which the law was judged. Now notice in verse 2, that's kind of background of verse 1. And a certain Pharisees said, why are you doing something that the law says you should not do? Why are you doing that? By the way, the impression of the text is the Pharisees had close eyes on Jesus, very close eyes on his disciples. And since Jesus was the ultimate leader of these disciples, he is actually the context of their criticism. Now, Jesus, the masterful teacher, right, he's God in the flesh. Notice what he does. He, he actually doesn't even necessarily directly address their statement. Look at what he says. And Jesus answered them, said, it really should be, he asked them a question. Hey, guys, do you, you ever read the story about David? I'm taking a little liberty here with translation. I get that. Hey, guys, have you ever heard the story about David? Remember the one where he went to the, to the place of worship? He went, and he was hungry, and he was running. He went to the house of God, and, and he took the show bread, the bread that only the priests were supposed to eat, and the priest gave it to him, and he ate it. And not only did he eat it, he gave it to all of his people. Do you remember that story? Now, let's look at that story. Go to 1 Samuel, if you would. Uh, ...for just a moment. Go to 1 Samuel verse, chapter 21... ...and notice... ...what happened here. Actually, find 1 Samuel 21... Be- before you, ...before we read that... ...in just a moment. This is the story that David is alluding to. Before we read that... ...turn back to Leviticus... ...for a moment... ...and look at Leviticus 24. Understanding... ...what this principle was... ...that Jesus is alluding to... In Leviticus 24, verse 5, it says this, it says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, and it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and a perpetual statue. Now look at our story in 1 Samuel, look at twenty-one, chapter 21, look at verse 1. Then David then came David to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David. He probably understood David and Saul are not getting along at this point in time. And said unto him, "Why art thou alone and no man with thee?" And David said unto Hel- Ahimelech the priest, "The king hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee." And what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servant to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women... And David answered the priest, and he said unto him, Of a truth, women have not been kept from us about these three days, since I came about, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hollowed bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Jesus quotes this account. He refers to this account, and he talks about this issue of Sabbath. And he says, do you remember when David came to the place, came to the place of God, and he asked the priest for bread? Ahimelech, the priest, was willing to give this bread to David's army if they were ceremonial clean. Ceremonially clean. That's why he asked the question, have they been with any women? I won't get into all that, but there was laws about the relationship of the woman that made them unclean in particular times, and we're not going to get into all the nature of that. But he says, or have they been ceremonially clean? Understanding there were 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe, and the bread was changed out weekly. Now, some scholars believe that the account in 1 Samuel actually occurred on the Sabbath, because of the discussion of the hot bread being changed out and all that. Many scholars believe that this account with David took place on the Sabbath. It's David's mission that was, that in a sense, overrode the legal restrictions And Jesus emphasizes that David, because of the nature of the situation, along with his companions, were permitted to eat the bread. The law could be set aside for David and his men, given the sense of urgency. How much more could Jesus and his disciples, in the urgency of proclaiming the gospel, how much more could they set aside, and he's going to get to this in a minute, the Sabbath laws for the sake of their ministry? The legitimate needs of David came before the law. So to condemn the disciples of Christ, one would be condemning David as well. Jesus says what David did is not unlawful. What they have done, actually, he, in a sense, is admitting, yes, he viol- they violated your fence. They, they did violate your fence. But what he is telling them is here, they have not violated the law. Okay, now that's all heavy duty. Let's go back to Luke and understand now what happens in verse 5. And he said unto them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. Whoa. You talk about raising the controversial language. He just basically said, look, you can have your Sabbath laws and all that stuff. That's fine. But I'm the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. A literal translation, by the way, if we were to translate this literally from remember, in in Greek, word order doesn't matter, okay, it doesn't, the syntax doesn't work the way English does, but a literal translation of the words of Christ would be this, Lord is of the Sabbath, the Son of Man, okay, that wouldn't work in English, we would be scratching our head. I bring that up to say this, word order in Greek is irrelevant, doesn't matter, but what they did is there were times that to emphasize a word, they put it First. It's called the emphatic position. And in the Greek language, the word that is first, the word that is emphatic is Lord. Lord is of the Sabbath, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mark tells us this in his parallel account. He says, And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Mark's point, Mark's emphasis was that the Sabbath was not to serve as a master over God's people, but to be a service to them. Jesus was not diminishing the importance of the Sabbath or encouraging his disciples to abandon the Sabbath. Jesus is communicating that there are times that he would supersede the demands of any Sabbath law. The Sabbath was subordinate to him. The Sabbath was given for the benefit of mankind. And what had happened was the Pharisees had made The law, all of the law, the Sabbath in particular, burdensome. It was weighing them down. Like many Christians today, the Pharisees were guilty of oversimplification. It's kind of like the question, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I don't answer that question. I'll tell you what I believe, label me whatever you want to label me. Whatever that makes me in your eyes, so be it. Well, I'm a Calvinist. That is oversimplification. God doesn't fit in your theological box or anybody else's. And we want this oversimplification of Christianity or of life. And the Pharisees wanted it simple. They wanted their box. They wanted their theology to fit in this nice little neat fence. And it didn't work. Like many Christians today, the Pharisees were primarily concerned with outward activity. Like many Christians today, the Pharisees were more interested in protecting their application of the Scripture than what the Scripture actually said. So Jesus raises this issue. Now Luke continues, and let's look at the second one, and we'll tie these two together in the last few minutes. Look at verse 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, we'll talk about that word in a minute, Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that he might find an occasion or accusation against them. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man which, was, which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. Now, Luke takes these two accounts and he mixes them together. And he says, okay, we have this one Sabbath account where the issue was eating grain on the Sabbath. Now we have the question of this healing on the Sabbath. Understanding that a withered hand was often associated, like other physical problems, with punishment from God for the sake of time. We won't look at all these, but Psalm one thirty seven five, Zechariah 11.17, even the account of Jeroboam in 1 Kings 13, verses 4 through 6. And so they had this perception. And in their zeal, again, to protect the law, the Pharisees did not use the law to set captives free, but rather to bind them even more tightly. Now, the law permitted medical attention to be given to someone if in fact their life was in danger the birth of a baby for instance if a baby was born on the sabbath they were permitted to allow that baby to be born there were times that medical emergencies demanded attention and they were permitted to do that this man's life is not in danger he has a withered hand a paralyzed hand We don't know how long he's had this ailment, but he's had it for a particular time. And notice, verse 7 tells us that the Pharisees watched him. The word means to watch attentively, to spy. It literally means to watch out of the corner of one's eye. You might say it this way, I got my eye on you. I am watching you. And Jesus knows this. He knows why they're watching. He's well aware of what they're thinking. He understands. Their... Now, again, Jesus, it would be better to not cause a stir. It, it probably would be better, Jesus, to not be controversial. Said Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, Hey, come here. Come here. Get up. Come here. Stand right here in front of everybody. Stand right here. Everybody see him? He's right here. Okay, stretch forth your hand. Now, I don't know how this works. Some people argue his hand was healed, and he raised it. Others argue that it was miraculous. There's all kinds of arguments. Here's how I see it, in my mind. Is he took one hand, and, and I don't, the scripture doesn't say this. this, is my imagination. He took his good hand, took this one, and lifted it for Jesus, and instantly it's healed. Now, this could have waited until Tomorrow. But Jesus, understanding the issue that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, and he asks them this question, is it good to do right on the Sabbath, or is it good? He's basically saying, for you to make your applications more important than for this man to be healed, you are more interested in evil than good. The Pharisees would have been perfectly content that this man's hand remained paralyzed, that their, that their application of Sabbath law would be violated. And he says, you have lost the purpose of the Sabbath. And oh, by the way, I didn't read verse 11 on purpose. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another. What they might do to Jesus, and reaction, the scribes and Pharisees have a strong expression of fury. They are filled, King James, with madness. Nasby translates the word as rage. ESV with the word fury. The word is anoi. It means madness, expressing itself in rage, irrational anger, pathological rage. You can say it this way. They lost their minds in anger. They are beside themselves. This isn't a small little reaction. Oh, that wasn't good. This is anger that is seething. How dare you? How dare you violate what we have held so dear? Now notice this is a turning point. This is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Because, quite frankly, he could have said to the Pharisees on the issue of the harvest, you know what, you're right. You know what, for sake of not offending the Pharisees, put the grain down and don't do that. He didn't do that. He says to the Pharisees, you need to get your priorities straight. On the issue of the healing, he could have certainly waited for the sun to go down. Could have waited till the next day. This man was no in no emergent need of healing, but he said, Hey, you know what? Come here, let me let me demonstrate to you my healing power. Why? Because Jesus had the authority over the Sabbath. Now, let's apply this very quickly in closing. What does all this mean for us? Well, if we take the Pharisees and we we acknowledge that they were right, they were right to have concern about keeping the Sabbath. Nobody's questioning that. They were right in that. The problem became their legalistic applications of that, in my illustration of not stepping on the platform, keep the fence back there. The problem was they had made the fence scripture. You get what I'm saying? They had made the fence scripture. Their legalism produced callous indifference to the welfare of other people. They were more interested in their fence not being violated than for someone to receive the life-giving ministry that Jesus had and was having. They would rather their fence not be stepped on than someone hear the gospel. Or someone to receive the healing power of Jesus. We would rather, paralytic, for your hand to remain paralyzed and to never be healed than for one of our fences to ever be touched. Legalism produces indifference to the welfare of other people. We also know that their legalism produced an emphasis on outward conformity to proper religious behavior to the neglect of mercy and compassion. They lost their perspective of mercy. They lost their perspective of compassion. They were more interested in their fences remaining intact and that their emphasis on outward behavior, that somehow, if I stay beyond the first pew, that somehow, I guess, I'm the carnal one in the group and you're all okay with God because you're on that side of the first. Well, you guys are you guys are bad too. The first row people and us, we're sinful. That was the picture. You're, sorry, Mark, you're toast. That was the picture. Was it somehow because we have kept this outward behavior that we have achieved spirituality and they had forgotten mercy, they had forgotten compassion. But here's, here's the one that I think we need to assess in our own hearts. Their legalism produced outrage And there was no reason for it. Their outrage was produced by the fact that someone stepped on their tradition. Someone stepped over their fence. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was allowing his disciples to pull grain off a plant and eat it. They didn't like the fact that Jesus would have the audacity to heal this man on the Sabbath when he could have waited. It's not to negate the importance of the Sabbath. It's not to negate the clear commandments that there was very serious punishment for somebody who was working on the Sabbath. In other words, it wasn't a matter of emergency. It was just a matter of uh, I choose to do something that was forbidden That was the law that was given to them. That was forbidden. But the outrage, the anger, they are filled with madness. They're consumed with it. And it says that they got together at this turning point in Christ's ministry, and they began to plot and to scheme and to question, what are we going to do with him? This is intolerable he can't come and do this who does he think he is well lest we forget jesus said in verse five i'm the lord of the sabbath by the way i'm the fulfillment of the sabbath i am the ultimate source of rest I am the one who he's going to say, my yoke is easy. Everyone who is heavy burdened, come to me and I will provide for you rest. The Sabbath rest that was given to the people of Israel was realized in the rest that is found in Christ. Not only did he have authority over the Sabbath, he was the fulfillment of the Sabbath and that ultimate spiritual rest came in him. And you know what they're worried about? touched my fence. You had the nerve to step over my fence, and because of that, we're ready to kill you. Legalism produces outrage over matters of preference, and it produces outrage to the point that we miss, we miss the joy of the gospel message. Jesus makes this very clear to us in this text this morning. Jesus is the son of God who has all power and authority over all situations. And now, his ministry is going to begin to be opposed. The religious leaders more and more become outraged. They become more and more convinced that he's got to die. And in the process, they're closing their ears. They're no longer listening. Because they're filled with rage. They don't want to hear the gospel. They want to hear their fences. Jesus said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord of the Sabbath and I am the Lord of your life. Instead of being worrying about that, receive me and receive my rest because I am the fulfillment of the law I am God's son in your presence that I have come so that you may have life through my power and through my authority